We come now to uh, chapter 6 in the book of John, John, uh, the, or the gospel according to John. And uh, in your Bible, it may say, uh, Christ feeds 5,000. We'll find that as we get into this, and as we reference back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find that, uh, that he actually fed more than 5,000. It was 5,000 men, but it could have been as many as fifteen or 20,000 uh, people altogether. But as we discussed in our last Sunday evening's message, uh, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And this was astonishing for the self-righteous Jews. For this man, the son of a carpenter, they all, they all um, had knowledge of him and, and his background, the son of Joseph, um, so to speak. And who in the world did this man think he was by claiming to be the very son of God? And uh, we know that that there are there were were various uh, validations to uh, Jesus uh, being who he said he was by claiming to be the Son of God. The Jewish leaders they knew they knew that Jesus was claiming equality with God the Father. As we talked last week, there is there is no there is no competition. There is no struggle between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one, and the one are and the and then the three also work individually, but they work in cohort uh, in a cohort with with one another. We know that they fully agree. Jesus said in His own words, "I only do that which I've seen the Father do. I'm I'm here. I'm all about the Father's will." He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. I hope that's your food tonight. I hope that's your will tonight is to do the will of God in this lifetime, in this short span of time that you have. I hope that you're found doing God's will. Let Him lead you and guide you in this life. But by claiming to be the Son of God, uh, the Jewish leaders, they became angry because this man named Jesus claimed to, to be deity. He claimed to be equal with God the Father. And although the Jewish leaders, they were outraged at his claim and they wanted to kill him, there was more than sufficient testimony. There was more than, than sufficient evidence to corroborate that Jesus was precisely who he said he was. Jesus was not a false prophet. Jesus was not uh, someone that just come out of out of the woodwork someplace and just started proclaiming himself. All, Jesus was all about doing the Father's will. Jesus had the testimony of John the Baptist, the one who came out of, out of the wilderness. If you remember the occasion down the, by, the, by the Jordan uh, uh, River there, upon his arrival, John answered to the people as he was out there baptizing. He said, I baptize with water. But among you, among you stands one who you do not know. There is one among you that you do not know. And then again, the very next day, the very next day there at the river of Jordan, John saw Jesus coming again. And he said to, to those who were, who were standing around, he said, Behold, in John 1.29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the same Lamb of God today that He was 2,000 years ago. And He's still able to take away sin. He's still able to clean up a dirty, wicked, darkened heart. He's still able to make us brand new. He's still able to regenerate and make us love Him and love the Father more than life's breath. 
if we'll let Jesus take control of our lives, if we'll let the Holy Spirit just, just overrule our lives, we'll have no problem pleasing our Lord. We'll have no problem at all. Jesus had the, the, the very testimony of his works, the miracles that he performed. Oh, it was undeniable that, that the miracles that Jesus did, that all of the books in the world could not hold all the miracles that Jesus performed. So he had the testimony of his works and of infinitely greater importance. Jesus Christ had the testimony of God the Father he gave audible testimony to the, uh, uh, to, to the deity of the Son at Jesus' uh, uh, baptism and at his transfiguration. There was a voice. The Bible says it came out of heaven, and that voice proclaimed, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What more testimony do we need from the Father? He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. And Jesus finally had the testimony of the Scriptures. Even though the Old Testament writings of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms that pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the Jewish religionists utterly failed to grasp that it was Jesus to whom the Scriptures referred. Oh, they knew the Old Testament well. But apparently they missed the whole point. It was pointing them to their insufficiency. It was pointing them to a greater need for a Savior. And when he came, they didn't re recognize him. So thus far, as recorded in the book of John, we're in, we're in chapter 6. We've been given th thus far three signs that point to the deity of Christ. We know the very first sign that John recorded was on the occasion that Jesus was at the marriage, at the wedding, and they were out of wine, and he turned the water into wine. This was a miraculous, miraculous feat. He healed a royal official's son who was deathly ill. That was the third sign or second sign, the third sign, he healed an invalid man there at the pool of Bethesda. He had, been, he had been an invalid for 38 years. And along comes Jesus. He heals him. And he told him to take up his bed and walk. Now moving right along, we come uh, to the fourth sign. The fourth sign we're going to look at tonight. It's the only sign or it's the only miracle that was recorded in all four Gospels. If you will turn with me in the Word of God to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, if you have your Bible, turn to verse 1. Picking up at verse 1, the Apostle John writes, and we'll read. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus, coming up on the mountain, or went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where 
Are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not, is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here, and he has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are these for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the signs which he had performed, he said, This is truly the, the prophet who has come into the world. What we have here is the miraculous provision for a great multitude, an impossible multitude to feed, a complete impossibility way out here on a hillside. It was a great multitude. And this event and the fourth sign given that those who will may believe. It's given that they may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is really the, the, the whole point. John says here in John 20 and 31, he says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But the world that we live in today, they still don't believe it. They still deny it. He said that you may believe. You may have life in His name. You believe that tonight. Are you convinced tonight of these of the very purpose that John wrote this glorious book that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Glory. That's glorious news. If you believe that, that's glorious news. You didn't acquire that on your own. You didn't think it up in your own mind. It was given to you. That precious gift of faith was given to you. Hallelujah. You are loved of God. Church, you are loved to God uh, of God. But keep in mind that the reason why John was given this gospel in the first place was so that they in that day and they in this day and they of tomorrow all the way to the end may, be, may believe that Jesus Christ is the beloved Son of God and that there's hope in Him and in, and in, in Him alone. Many of the events that John records took place in Judea. But on this occasion, in this instance, 
They were in the place called Galilee. Jesus was ministering here in Galilee. Galilee it lies in the northern part of Israel. The, the, the northern part of Israel. Now, let's begin to unwrap the wonderful, glorious message that lies within our text here tonight. Do you love God's Word? Is it precious to you? It's more precious to me than the whole world. All wrapped together, His blessed Word gives me hope to live by. It gives me hope to die by. It gives me hope all the way into eternity. Pastor Steve was talking this morning about eternity. There's not a day goes by that I don't think about eternity because it's forever before us. It's in our face. We can't deny it. We see death and destruction all around, and the only hope that we have or need is on eternity with our Lord and Savior. We've got victory, don't we? We've got victory. And it's sweet. The victory's sweet. There's a song that says something about that. We've got victory, and it's sweet to be victorious because Jesus Christ has made a way. And he, and he won victoriously on the rugged cross of Calvary. He won. He nailed our sins to the cross. This is not brand new news, but it's good to hear, isn't it? It's good to hear. It's good to know that I can stand before my Creator one day. And I can hear Him say, Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But it's going to be only through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all she wrote. Verse 1, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of, Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Let's break this down. After a long preaching mission, they had been down there preaching. Jesus had been preaching. His disciples had been preaching. And after receiving word that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod, Jesus and his disciples, they went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They went by boat. They went seeking a secluded place. They went looking for a place, a quiet place. This great body of water, it was actually a lake. It was actually, uh, the lake is actually 13 miles long, and it's about seven miles wide. So they got on this boat, and they traveled over to, over to the other side, about seven miles. And, then, and the sea was also called Tiberias by, by Herod Antipas in honor of the Roman emperor uh, by the name of Tiberius in A.D. 20. And, G and Jesus and his disciples would not find the peaceful, the peaceful seclusion that they were looking for. They, they, they launched this boat out to get away from the crowd, to, to go to the other side. They had heard that John the Baptist had been executed for telling the truth, for preaching the truth, for standing firm. And so they went to the other side, and they got to the other side in verse 2. You'll find that as John sets the scene here in, uh, in verse 2, he mentions that a large crowd, John 6, 2, he mentions that a large crowd coming from the, uh, uh, coming from the surrounding cities, they followed Jesus on foot along the shore. You see, they didn't, they didn't get on a boat. They went around the shore. They ran around the shore. And by the time he, got, he and his disciples got across, that, that lake, on the boat, 
Here they come. So there was no seclusion. There was no rest. But they came to Jesus on foot along the shore. Why? Because they saw signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs which he was performing on those who had been sick. Why were they following Jesus? Well, it wasn't because of faith. They wasn't following Jesus because of faith. They wasn't following Jesus because they just wanted to repent. They wasn't following Jesus because of godly sorrow. They weren't following Jesus because they wanted to honor him. They were following Jesus for what they could get. Their motivation was the thrill of what miracles that they might see. What miracles they might receive. Sounds a whole lot like what we hear today. I won't name names, but we hear it today. Promises of all the wonderful things that the world has to give you if you'll just come to our church. If you'll just come to our church and you just plant a seed here in this church, you're going to be blessed with so much. And you separate yourself from negative people. Separate yourself from this group of people that don't think like you. Get around the positive thinkers. Get around these kind of thinkers. Get around people of this intellect. Get around people that has this education. Get around this uh, this people that has influence. These two, they were coming to Christ seeking what they could get. They were thrill seekers. We shall see that once Christ left the miracles and put the emphasis on teaching, the crowd quickly dispersed. The crowd quickly lost interest. His long brother Darrell, we can keep it exciting. Pastor Steve, as long as we can keep it, keep it exciting. Then they'll come, maybe. If we'll only feed them a little more, if we'll only show more more, uh, uh, compromise, then maybe. Fooey. Don't believe it. If they want Jesus Christ, a team of wild horses couldn't keep them from him. Not you and not me or anyone else. If they want Jesus, they're going to find him. He says, seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. They can come here or go over yonder. If they're not seeking Jesus with all of their heart, they're wasting their time. I'm not going to talk anybody to Jesus and neither are you. You live and you set the example. You be light. You be salt. You be everything that you ought to be in Christ. But it's up to every single individual to come to Christ wholeheartedly, seeking Him. It's just the way it is. Oh, if I had the power, I'd save your kids and grandkids. I'd save my own. If I had the power but I don't, and you don't. Everyone has to come to Christ hungry, seeking Him. 
And this crowd, they came seeking miracles. They came seeking blessings. But when he really sat down and he began to teach them what this is really all about, they lost interest real quickly. This is still true today. The sensational miracles and the physical appetites and the entertainment, they appeal more than the spiritual things. They're more, they're more appealing than spiritual instruction. So to get a crowd to attend, to get, to, to get many people to attend church, some churches they try to give people something. Mainly, give people what they want. Give them what they want to hear. Give them what makes them comfortable in their situation. Shame on us if we do that. They put the emphasis on the sensational. They put the emphasis on the physical. While they de-emphasize and they dumb down the blessed Word of God. The holiness. The righteousness. The goodness. All of these things that are characteristics of God's people. We're a different people. Not only in mind, but in action. We're a different people. We're set apart. That's what sanctification is. We're set apart. Then Jesus went up on the mountain here in verse 3. We're told here that Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now these mountains, they would rise sharply on the eastern side of the lake. We now call them the Golan Heights. That's where Jesus was, he and his disciples. And from that vantage point, he could see a tremendous, massive crowd, a great multitude that came following him. And the Lord found a suitable spot where the crowd could also find a place to sit down and seated himself while the people gathered and they settled down. Verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these may eat? Despite Jesus knowing the hearts of these men, despite Jesus knowing the hearts of these people, their ill motives, their purpose for coming was not in search of righteousness and holiness. Their purpose for coming was to seek a thrill. And so when Jesus sees them coming, he asked Philip, he says, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? You see the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace that Jesus shows here? Three Passovers are mentioned in John. This was the second one. The Lord went to Jerusalem for the first one and the third one. But this particular one here, uh, Jesus remains in Galilee. And the Passover, it commem- it com- we know what the Passover is. It commemorates the nation of Israel's deliverance from bondage, from the bondage of Egypt. The great deliverance from from the Egyptian bondage, it was burned into their national conscience. They knew from the writings of Moses that they had, had once been delivered 
They'd once been delivered from the bondage. Many today need to remember, though we've been Christians for a long time, we've been delivered from bondage. We've been set free from the bondage of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But you've been set free. He that is free is free indeed. The truth will make you free. They had a desire for a second Moses. They were looking for another deliverer to lead, to lead them out of the Roman servitude was their wishes. The enormous crowd here probably consisted of, at least in part, those who were pilgrims that were on their way down to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover feast. After spending some time on the mountain with the twelve, Jesus saw, as I said, from the high vantage point up here on the, on the mountains of the Golan Heights, they, he saw that a large crowd was coming to him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Gospels, uh, record that Jesus healed their sick, and he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Mark says that Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. It was getting late in the day. And Luke records that the disciples, they came to Jesus and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that we may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But the Lord had different plans, you see. The Lord knew that the crowd had a superficial motive for following him but in his abundant mercy, he was determined to meet their needs any old way. He was ready. So Jesus asked Philip, he said, where, where are we to buy the food so that these may eat? Now, he didn't ask. He didn't ask Philip, Philip, how are we going to buy the food? He simply asked him, where are we to buy the food? But look at Philip here. Philip. He immediately jumps to, let's look at verse 6. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Notice verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. It's not uh, uh, for, for everyone to receive a little. Now, the Lord saw in this situation an ideal opportunity to put Philip and by extension, his other disciples to the test. You ever feel like God is allowing you to go through a test? You ever feel like sometimes what, what, what is impossible? It's absolutely impossible. There's no way through it. God brings you through it, and you don't even really understand how you made it through it, except it's a miracle. Many times in your life, you may experience that. I know I have. Uh, he's brought me through things that I thought I could never endure. Philip must have done some quick arithmetic in his head. He quickly determined the insufficiency of funds. Hard to do much without money. Philip was thinking in his mind, 200 denarii worth of bread 
is not sufficient for them, for everyone to even receive a little. Now, if we did some quick mathematics, one denarii was about one day's worth of labor. So real quick math, 200 days worth of labor um, wouldn't even begin to give these, this crowd a little taste, much less feed them sufficiently. The idea of buying bread was entirely hopeless to Philip. You may have been like Philip before. Complete hopelessness. There is no way we can, we can handle this great, enormous crowd. So Philip's faith, along with the other disciples, they were found lacking, to say the least. So John, here in John 6, 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these? What are these for so many people? How overwhelmed you must have felt. You ever felt overwhelmed? You ever felt completely out of your league? I know I have. What is needed here is nothing short of a miracle, a true uh, sufficient supply of food for this massive gathering of people. It would take nothing less than a miracle. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found a little boy who came prepared with five barley loaves and a couple of fish. And the provisions were even more meager than one might assume just by reading the Scriptures here. Let me break it down just a little bit more. The boy was carrying basically five Twinkies. Basically, five Twinkies and two sardines. You laugh. I bet they laugh too, don't you? But that's what he was carrying. He was carrying a very small amount. The boy was carrying, well, he wasn't carrying large loaves. He wasn't carrying great big fish, but he was carrying just enough to make a pretty good sandwich, probably. These barley loaves, they were... They were small cakes. They were about the size of a little Debbie snack cake. As I said, the fish, they were about the size of a sardine. So there was absolutely uh, no way that this was going to feed, uh, feed this crowd. It was probably going to do well just to feed this little boy. But I want to mention, too, that the barley loaves are of poor quality. It's like the lowest quality of bread that you could buy. The barley cakes. It was this was uh, this was a low quality food, it, but it was all that they had. But it was all they needed. Andrew said, "But what are these for so many people?" Let me remind you that what is impossible with God is what is impossible with men is impossible with God. Verse ten says, "Jesus said." Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. So, the disciples' faith may have failed, but we see here that their obedience did not. Sometimes your faith and my faith may become weak. 
Let's obey anyway. When we don't quite understand what in the world God is going to do with all of this, let's obey Him anyway. Let's stay consistently obeying Him. They did just as Jesus instructed them. He had them to have the people to sit down. The stage is set. Here now, sitting on this hillside were five 5,000 men, they were hungry, plus thousands of hungry women and children. The number totaled probably somewhere around fifteen and 20,000 people. If you count the wives and the daughters and the sons and uh, the, the uh, people of all ages. But this anonymous little boy, he was willing to give up his lunch. The disciples, they felt helpless in the face of an enormous need. And there stood the incarnate Jesus, the Son of the living God. Here He was. And He was about to demonstrate to them what can happen when anyone surrenders to God. Look closely at what Jesus is about to do. Simply and without any fanfare here in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves And having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And there's nothing here that says that when Jesus had given thanks, that there was thanks that there was a vast amount of bread that suddenly appeared, or there was a vast amount of fish that suddenly appeared. It simply says of both the fish and the bread that he distributed to those who were seated. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, he broke off new pieces from the existing bread, giving these new pieces to his disciples. The distribution process was taking place here. He he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples, they distributed to the people. That's what we're doing today. The Word of God has been given to us. The bread of life has been given to us. And what are we to do with it? Distribute it. We're to give it out, to give it to others who are hungry, who are desperately in need. We give it out here every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And I hope we give it out every other day of the week in our own personal lives. Give it out. Give it out. There's plenty to go around. But Jesus, he distributed to the disciples, and they gave to those who were on that hillside. We need to spread the truth today in the same way. In Mark's account, he said that Jesus, Jesus, he was looking up toward heaven, and he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept, it says that he kept giving. He kept giving, and he kept giving to the the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. You see, when it's in the hand of the Lord, he has plenty to go around, plenty for you. The Lord not only fed them, but he fed them, the Scriptures say, as much as they wanted. He fed them to their fullest satisfaction. John six twelve says, When they were filled, 
He says to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who who had eaten. Now, this was an amazing display of God's abundant grace. God's abundant grace. The leftovers, they were far exceedingly more than the original five barley loaves. Jesus more than met their needs. Jesus can more than meet this world's needs. Jesus can more than meet your own needs, no matter what the circumstances are. Jesus more than met their needs. He was able to fill up 12 baskets of fragments. Christ not only provided enough food to satisfy the hungry crowd, but he also provided the next day's meal for his disciples. Twelve whole baskets of bread and fish. Look to verse 14. The crowd was astonished by the sign which Jesus had performed. The people said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Without a doubt, Jesus' miraculous provision of food would have reminded the crowd of Moses. And they would have reminded the crowd of the manna from heaven. When they were out there in the wilderness, God provided for Israel in the wilderness. The crowd, they correctly realized that the miracle was indeed a supernatural one. The miracle put Jesus in the category of greatness to those men who saw the miracle. They honored Christ because of the miracle. They honored Him because of the miracle. But what were they looking for in a Messiah? They wanted one who would be an earthly deliverer. They were looking for a deliverer from their difficulties with the Roman oppression. They wanted one who would meet all of their physical needs. Give me what I want or I'm not going to follow you. Give me what I need the way I want it or I'm not going to follow you. They wanted a Messiah that would give them health, give them prosperity. Among their greatest wants as well, as freeing them from their hated yoke of the Roman oppression. Verse 15 says, So Jesus, perceiving, that means he knew. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. They wanted to establish an earthly king. Sounds like Satan, doesn't it? Satan offered Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow and worship him. They wanted an earthly king, but Jesus' kingdom would not be of this world. His kingdom would not be established upon this present earth. Oh, he's going to establish one one day, but not in the way that man wants. Jesus refused to make to be made king of their on their unrepented terms. 
You see, we, can, we don't come to God on our own terms. We come to God on His terms, or we don't come at all. You want to know why men want nothing to do with Jesus Christ? They want nothing to do with Him because He, he demands the denial of self. My little grandpa used to stand and preach the gospel, and he would often say, if we would only get self out of the way. When all the time we learn from little children coming up through school, take care of number one, to thine own self be true. Take care of yourself, no one else is going to. Fight and wrestle your way to the top. Make it all about you. Win over. Be the, be the best. Be the greatest. Be the first. Every second is a loser. So be first. Luke 9.23 says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. They want nothing to do with Christ because he demands separation from the world. You know this familiar scripture, Romans 12, 1. Pastor Steve, I think you read it this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of, of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. No, listen, man demands to be his own person. Man does not come to Christ because Christ demands separation from the world. Second Corinthians 6 and 17 says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Daryl doesn't say it. The Lord says it. Come out from the midst and be separate. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. That's sweet, isn't it? I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. But you got to come out from the midst of the world and be separate. And do not touch what is unclean. Then I will welcome you. That's what the scriptures are teaching. Some modern ministries today, they try to superficially market a different Jesus. A Jesus who is a genie in a bottle. A Jesus who, who gives unbelievable gifts to them. A Jesus who, who will give to unbelieving people whatever they want, be it health, wealth, or self-esteem. The seeker-friendly churches do this very thing. They, I, I've heard tell they would go into a community and they would go from house to house and say, what would it take, what would it take to get you to come to this brand new wonderful church that we're going to begin? What are you looking for in a church? What can we do to, to, to persuade you to come? 
Self-seeking unbelievers will go to those kinds of churches. They're seeking for themselves. They're not seeking to follow Christ. Take up your cross and follow Christ. They look for a way to attain dominance, a favorability in this world. And want to come regardless of their wicked, un- unrepentant lifestyle. They, they, they think God's going to bless them regardless of how they live. But that turns the gospel message completely upside down. And it's a false presentation of the true gospel. People do not come to Christ on their own terms. They cannot come to Christ on their own terms so that he can heal their broken relationship so he can put it all back together and make it sweet and wonderful again so they'll go about their wicked lifestyle just like they did before. I hope that's not the Jesus that we're trying to sell to the world. Matter of fact, Jesus said that you will have trouble in this world. He says man is born of woman. He is a few days and full of trouble. He guarantees that's a promise. That is a promise in the Bible. I don't know if that's one of the 7,000 you were talking about, Pastor Steve, but that is a promise. You're going to have difficulty. How many hands would raise tonight if I asked you that question? Have you had difficulty? How many hands would raise? Is there any in the house? Are you going through any difficulties? Does anybody have anything difficult going on in their life? Anybody? Look at all those hands. So, God has kept His Word. He's kept His promise. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have trouble. And you're going to have few days. That's just as true. Pastor Steve was talking about it this morning. A couple of more blinks. We may be gone. Life has passed by quickly. It's passed by quickly. So I'm not going to sell lies, and Pastor Steve's not going to sell lies, and neither are you. We just got to recognize the truth from a lie. We all have to come to Jesus on his terms. Jesus graciously forgives. Jesus loves. Yes, Jesus loves. And he grants uh, a, a rich legacy of joy. Yes, Jesus gives peace. Yes, Jesus gives comfort. But at the same time, he calls sinners to mourn over their sins. He calls us to repent of our sins. And he calls us to acknowledge him as our sovereign Lord and Savior to whom we owe complete, utter obedience. I like that you said amen. Even today, he continues to withdraw from those who seek him for their own self serving ends i hope i hope folks understand that we are all about jesus we must be all about jesus anything less is not what it ought to be jesus isn't number one your family number two jesus is on a complete different plane platitude Whatever that word is. Those of you that are better educated know English better than I do. He is far and infinitely greater and above everything else. 
He must be who He is. He's everything. You know, if we get our relationship right with God, all this other stuff will work out. That's not new news to you. You know that. You get things right with God. If we have a right relationship with God, everything else will, will be like water off of a duck's back. It, won't, it, won't, just, it just won't penetrate us. Pastor Steve, that's the truth, isn't it? I think you, you, you were kind of nailing that this morning. If we get our hearts right with God and we follow Him completely, not, not looking left or looking right, but continue on with Him, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the man's heart what God has prepared for those that love Him. We're going to see later in this chapter that many of Jesus' disciples are going to withdraw from Him. It's not going to be a great kumbaya where they've They've, they've followed and they've seen the wonderful miracles and He's blessed them with so much and, they're, they, and they just fall in love with Him and, they just, and they just want, they're going to follow Him for all of eternity. That's not what happens at all. But many of His disciples, they withdraw. They don't walk with Him anymore. When they hear the hard demands of the gospel, they turn and they go away and they follow Him no more. But we'll get into that later. Stand with me if you will. I'm glad that I know who my Redeemer is. I'm glad that I, I serve and worship with a group of people that, that know the cold hard facts of what I'm talking about here tonight. We need to be genuine with God. We want God to be genuine with us. We need to be genuine with Him. Not, follow him on, not only follow Him on Sunday, but every day of the week, every second of, of, the, of the minute, every minute of the hour, follow Jesus all the time, far most in our minds, being obedient to Him. We need to do that. You know, for sometimes for a tree to do good, it has to be pruned a little bit, doesn't it? Sometimes for, for plants to do what they're supposed to do, it, it's good for them to be to be trimmed back a little bit. So we understand that it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy to swallow, especially if we take it literally and we apply it to our own self. If I sit and I say, Amen, Pastor Steve, you're right. Amen, Pastor Steve, you're right. But at the same time, I don't follow I don't listen. I don't obey. It's all for naught. It's all for nothing. So I'm thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for the true word. And uh, I'm thankful for our church. I hope you're encouraged. If you're like me and you've glanced at, uh, at the TV a few times this week, you, you may find yourself uh, getting a little discouraged, maybe a lot discouraged. I'm going to have to do like Pastor Steve and unplug for a few days myself just to regain my sanity. But uh, it's all biblical. People become depraved when they turn from God. And what we're seeing is depravity. We're seeing people whose minds have been turned into reprobates. They do not consider 
the truth. They do not consider the things of God. When we are, when, when we are uh, seeing people that are going out and, and destroying cities, burning police cars, this is like a horror movie, y'all. Isn't it? It's the craziest thing. But here we are. Here we are. We've got to be strong. We've got to be faithful. We've got to keep our wits about us. We've got to keep the Word of God ever, ever before us and in our minds and in our hearts. Because the very foundation that we stand upon is being tested. It's being tested. They would like nothing better than to burn all the churches down. They already want to do away with, with the, the, the law. They want to do away with police officers. Can you believe that? They ain't seen like a bloodshed that they're going to see if that were to happen. It's madness. And if you're trying to figure it out, rationalize it out, I advise you to look up. I advise you to look up because... The Word of God teaches that this craziness would come. We just didn't know it was going to come, come along this quickly. But here it is. You be strong. You be faithful. Remember to pray for our nation. Father, we thank you for our great nation. Lord, we thank you for those that, that, that lead us. Lord, we pray that your hand be upon them. Give them wisdom. Give them uh, courage, Lord, to stand for the truth, even if the masses do not agree. Lord, we pray that we'll stand on the side of good and righteousness will stand for holiness, will stand for what the Word of God teaches, and that everything else can shake and shudder, but we know that your Word will stand firm for all of eternity. Lord, we just praise you for, the, for our church and for our church family, our leaders and our, our teachers and our, our singers and all that are, that are, that are a part, uh, and those that are coming with smiling faces Sunday after Sunday ready to listen. God, we're so so honored and so grateful, Lord, for each and every one that is coming and, and being a part of our fellowship, Lord. Lord, we're looking for your return. We're looking for, for, for the church to be caught up, to be with you in the air at any moment. Lord, we're listening for the trumpet to sound. We're listening for that moment that you call us out of this world and that we're forever changed in your holy presence. Oh, God, help your church to continue to look up and to be encouraged. Because we know that you've not forgotten us. We know that you're coming. And you have a place prepared for those that love you. We love you tonight, Lord. Be with us as we go our separate ways this week, Lord. Keep each and every family. Uh, keep an eye on every family here tonight, Lord. And, and, uh, and just... Build hedges around them, Lord, and protect uh, a protection. We know the devil is going to come with his fiery darts, and and temptations are going to come, and and the garbage of the world is going to come to attack our minds and and to attack our hearts, and cause us to to to, to look away from your word, or cause us to look away from from our faith in you. But God, we just pray tonight that 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 we will knuckle down and cling to you with all of our strength. And follow you with all of our being tonight. Lord, we praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Until we meet again. Amen. Y'all have a good week. God bless you.